This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features 100,000 titles, including Walter Isaacson's biography, Albert Einstein, His Life and Universe, narrated by Edward Herman, and Stephen Hawking's The Theory of Everything, narrated by Michael York. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash Siam, S-C-I-A-M. Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, hosted on July 25th, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... A pessimist is someone who's waiting for it to rain. I'm, I'm, I'm drenched to the skin. And that is Nobel Prize winning chemist Harry Croto. He shared the 1996 Chemistry Nobel for the discovery of fullerenes, arrangements of carbon atoms in the form of closed shells. The most famous fullerene is probably Buckminster fullerene, also known as the Buckyball C60. The entire class of carbon structures is named for Buckminster Fuller because his geodesic dome design in Montreal has the same configuration. Croto was speaking to science students from all over the world at the recent Lindau Nobel laureates meeting in Germany. Scientific American's executive editor Fred Guterrell was there, and he spoke to Croto after his talk. Croto likes to get into the role of science in society, as you'll hear. Fred and Sir Harry were in a large hall in which the chairs were being rearranged, so that's the background sound you'll notice. We'll listen to that interview directly following this two-minute clip of Croto talking to students that I recorded during the Lindau meeting of 2011. I'm going to talk about what science is because it's a totally misunderstood sort of uh, subject. Um, There are aspects of science which are important. And of course, we know the body of knowledge that you learn at school, all right? The applications of those knowledge, technology, the only thing that journalists ever ask in general 99% of the time. Perhaps most important is the, the way that we discover new knowledge. But for me, the most important by far is that it's the only philosophical construct we have to determine truth with any degree of reliability. I mean, to think about that. Because then it becomes a much bigger subject. In fact, for me, perhaps the most important subject there is. And the ethical purpose of education must involve teaching children how they can decide what they're being told is actually true. And that's not the case in general. The teaching of a skeptical, evidence-based assessment of all claims, all claims, without exception, is fundamentally an intellectual integrity issue. Without evidence, anything goes. Think about it. Common sense says the sun goes around the earth. Who agrees with me? Look at it. Starts over here, ends over there. It's uncommon sense that was needed to recognize that the earth was turning on its axis. The uncommon sense of Copernicus, Galileo, and Giordano Bruno was burnt to death. We have to learn to be very careful and question everything. Let me just check. How many of you know the evidence for Galileo to say that the earth was going around the sun? Put your hand up. You've accepted it. Almost nobody's put their hand up. It's incredible. Look at yourself. You've accepted this. You've accepted a lot of things without evidence. Find out what the evidence is for that. Find out what the evidence is for everything that you accept. 
Well, so tell us, you know, so what are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Now, these are these, these are, are attitudes that are that are threatening threatening the enlightenment. Threatening the enlightenment. Yes, which of which is the way of thinking where you don't uh, accept dogma for the way you behave and act. It's about thinking for yourself, and that's what Kant in the in the essay by Kant on what is the enlightenment. He discusses this, so you you have to read that. But I took the major the two first sentences, which really can encapsulate. He's saying it's self-imposed uh, mental immaturity, or or really uh, philosophical and, and thinking immaturity, and that one of the big things in the USA we need leaders. The last thing we need are leaders who tell because what's the point in leading a flock of sheep? <laughs> I mean, so basically what you have is that people want leaders who tell them what to do. And no, we should actually have a, an enlightened population in which they can think and discuss rationally the problems that they face. A good example would be gay marriage or, you know, um, this. So they, these people are, talk, uh, are against it, not on the basis of any thought process, but in the assumption that somewhere in a 2,000-year-old philosophy, mystical religious philosophy, it says uh, something which is totally is 2,000 years old. And, and today we understand these things and, uh, and we must uh, make our decisions on the basis of rational and reasonable discussion of what the issues are. And, it, and, and of course, uh, we're not doing that. Uh, abortion is another one. I mean, uh, I think that you know, abortion is a very complex, serious issue. And people who interfere with this and are responsible for the birth of children are interfering with individuals, and they now are responsible for a birth that wouldn't have occurred. Now, those people should actually make sure that that child, independent of the ethical issues, they must think what is their responsibility. Well, they should be responsible to make sure that that child now is brought up in a home. Uh, like their own children are brought up and that at least to the age of 18 they should be educated. So these are the, the sort of things that this group of people, this young people here, many of whom will get into positions of responsibility, I want them to get that attitude right. of thinking to themselves and not be led by political, religious or any other dogma, but actually on the basis of uh, truth issues and what science is, how it works, and at the same time when there are issues where, where science is, has nothing to say, which is unethical issues, or not much to say anyway, they will start to think these are complex, there may not be a really good solution, but let's take the best solution we can for the good of society. Now this is, uh, uh, it seems incredible that we're fighting these battles at the moment where, uh, you know, at the apotheosis of the, sci of the Enlightenment, where we've got all these accomplishments uh, that, that we can see and, you know, I don't yeah, have to name well, them. You, you, you apparently in the USA have uh, the highest percentage of religious people, dogmatized people in the, in the developed world and in the in the Middle East you have um, people who are uh, following another dogma you've got dogmas of all of them and obviously they can't all be right I mean this is sort of a very simple rational issue but the human race seems to have a problem they don't want to face it's not in, they're not interested in whether it's true or false and that's what I want to say here that science is about what is true what can be true and what can be true reliably. And that doesn't mean that dogma isn't important. I mean, one has to develop sort of social um, 
rules. And, and these are, I know, I think people like Jefferson and Madison and Benjamin Franklin uh, did that and uh, developed some very reasonable rules. They're about two or three hundred years old, and uh, people in the USA look service to, to the to the separation of church and state. I mean, there in that Virginia Constitution, in Virginia, which is one of the most religiously oppressed states, there is within it one of the most important statements ever made, and that one's religious views should not prejudice your uh, standing for office. Why in the United States, uh, which is a country that's based on a, uh, one of the first rational constitutions, <laughs> is this problem so... Uh, well, because the large numbers of people are illiterate and, uh, and ignorant, and that's not a damning term, it's just that they then, because they aren't, they don't know, they've never read the Constitution, they don't understand it. Um, but partly because most, you see, it's only 1% of the, the scientists and en engineers are only 1% of the population. In the case of the states, they're all in California, and New York, Boston, and maybe Chicago, and the vast center of people who are benefiting by those centers, those scientific uh, advances, but they don't, um, they don't care where it came from, and they don't care about the philosophy that made it possible. Why, why is climate change uh, so uh, polarized? Uh, I, I think it's partly because it has major implications for industry. Um, I mean, uh, you, you think know, in, you think industry uh, has the, yeah, the, the disinformation I mean, campaign? No, it, people make money out of uh, energy. I mean, the biggest one is obviously oil industry, and uh, um, and so um, they, many of them. Are, I think if you look, you'll find that there's an immense lobby by the energy producing, the sort of fuel producing companies, to particularly in Congress. And uh, um, but in fact, uh, it's a very complex issue. We don't really know whether it's dangerous or not. But what I say is don't do that, just show the evidence as I said. And look at nine out of ten of these pointers indicate that we've got a problem. Um, and so uh, to some extent to avoid um, sort of really looking into this issue, which I think is almost impossible to, to do anything about it myself personally. Um, because we're, we're locked into this infrastructure of cars and oil usage and energy right. uses and uh, air conditioners. I mean, you can, you'll can you die in California now if you didn't have air conditioning <laughs> five miles in from the sea, right? Right. And so that's uh, an, in, an inconvenient observation. Right. What? But I think the other thing is that, of course, large numbers of people... Uh, can actually benefit by science not understanding anything about it. And today, you don't even need common sense to survive. In the old days, in the, you had common sense. You had to get the wood in for winter. You had to make sure you had food through, you know, Montana or up there. But no, now they got electricity produced by, you know, Faraday and Maxwell and uh, oil and stuff like that. So they can, you, can, you can be an idiot and survive because you just go to McDonald's for your food. Uh, you, if you go, go to work, do some sort of inane job, which is nobody taking any responsibility, it's always up the line, and then you watch uh, the Super Bowl, and that's it. But in the old days, you really had to know how your world worked. Mm. You don't need that anymore. So you can spend your time sitting to people like Joel Austin, and idiots, uh, and people think, and he makes up millions out of it, and 35,000 in his congregation, telling you, God wants you to be rich and screw the other people. And that's unbelievable that they accept it.
What do you make of the fact that uh, that uh, uh, that the world is a you know a smaller place and that science is uh, happening in, in China, in the Middle East, and uh, in, in more places? Well, I than think they are aware of this, and people are aware that science and technology can change their lives, and they can look at this and hopefully um, recognize it. It's happened very slowly in the West. I mean, over 400, 500 years. I mean, I, I made the case that there was no science until the language of science and algebra was there, there was empirical thing, mm-hmm. new crop rotation, but they didn't know why. Right. So knowing that you got that's common sense because you discover by empirical observation how things work. You don't understand medicine until you understand blood circulation. And the guy who discovered that, a Spaniard, was actually executed by Martin Luther. Actually, a Spaniard was the first person to start to understand the with the heart and the circulation. So, um, the, I don't have an ex- answer to everything, but there are things that concern me, and I wanted to point that out to these kids. Are you an optimist? Leonard Cohen said, uh, no, no, I'm not a pessimist. A pessimist is someone who's waiting for it to rain. I'm, I'm, I'm drenched to the skin. But I said, I'm an optimist. I'll be well out of here when the shit hits the fan. That's my level of optimism. That's, yeah, that's not, a re- I, that's not a reassuring form of optimism to me. I think we me. have problems. Yeah. Uh, we have problems exacerbated by dogma. You see that in Syria, right? You know, Shia, Shia and Sunnis at each other's throats. They're not discussing this on the basis of what's best for society. We see the Tea Party in America not discussing what's best for society. Okay, not everything that Obama's doing is necessarily good. But all they want is to undermine it, undermine everything that the Democrats are trying to do, uh, irrespective of whether it's positive for society. And they will find every excuse. And I think this is a terribly, terribly dangerous time. And I think it's not just in the USA, because what politicians should be doing is getting together to try and solve the problems um, as best they can and, and, and not just stand on their dogmatic sort of pedestals ad infinitum. What is our most urgent problem, do you think? Well, I think, obviously, uh, um, I think uh, our dependence probably on fossil fuel. We're locked into that so deeply that I, I don't see it easily being doing anything about it there's not the social will and I think what we're we're like lemmings I mean the, uh, animals and, eat, and human beings are just animals too will just um, eat and get and uh, take advantage of any source of energy until it runs out and then there'll be catastrophe so I think the sooner it comes in some ways the better I mean some will survive and I I I mean, I, I was born in the first months of the war, first month and a half of the war, and I just thought, you know, I was a 60s guy, Rolling Stones and uh, Beatles and miniskirts, and it was a fantastic time to be a student, and I was so optimistic, and as time has gone on, I just see, I just thought, well, you know, education would solve these problems, but the problem is that the human beings have an Achilles heel, and that is... Um, they don't want to think if that thinking causes discomfort. That wonderful line of, of Kennedy's, the, it's a great line, the, the, the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Hmm. Is there anything else, well, I don't want to keep you too long, but is there anything else you want to say 
to our readers or our listeners? Well, I think um, they they must. Uh, I, I mean, one thing that just disturbs me is the public uh, education system in the USA. I mean, that's being destroyed, undermined by by vested interests. Uh, you know, because uh, um, Madison, my favorite president, uh, was very much against uh, religion entering into the school system. But now, basically, religious schools, certainly since segregation, have got a stranglehold on many of the schools. And when segregation occurred, white kids were in droves went out into into the religious schools who picked them up. And so the only infrastructure around when, when societal uh, problems arise are some of the religious organizations. As we see in Egypt and, uh, and uh, the Middle East, that the, the uh, dogma groups who have this coherent philosophy of telling people what to do because people want to just do things but they're not told. And that's pretty dangerous as far as I'm concerned. Harry Croto's personal website with links to many of his talks is at www.croto.info. We'll be back right after this word from Kerry Smith at The Nature Podcast. This week on The Nature Podcast, beware the next superbugs, how flatworms regrow their heads, and the palm oil genome gives up its secrets. More at nature.com slash podcast. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, and check out the collection of Scientific American eBooks available for Kindle, The Endangered Nook, and iBooks. You can find them by going to our website, then clicking on Products on the right near the top, and then on Scientific American eBooks. The latest eBook is on the science of education. Just $3.99 wherever fine books are downloaded. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. What are you prepared to do?